Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning over to the book of Daniel and chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6 this morning, and we're going to look at the entire chapter, Lord willing. Daniel chapter 6. If you're visiting with us, welcome again. We hope that you have felt welcome thus far and continue to do so. If you came this morning without a Bible, uh, that's fine. We want to offer one to you. So somewhere under the chairs in front of you, there should be a copy of God's Word. In that particular copy of the Bible, it's on page 696, 696 Daniel chapter 6. And if you don't own a Bible, please feel free to take that one with you as a free gift uh, to you. We want you and everyone to know and be reminded that everything that we do here at Grace comes from the Word of God. It's founded on and rooted in God's Word, the Bible. These are not merely our opinions, our thoughts, our ruminations, any brilliance on our part. This is only uh, ever and always God's Word to us. Daniel chapter 6. This may be the most well-known narrative of the book of Daniel. How many of you have heard of Daniel in the lion's den? All right, maybe how many have not heard of Daniel the Lion's <laughs> All right, so Daniel the Lion's Then, If we think of a narrative from the book of Daniel, this is probably the one that comes to mind. We were in Sunday school at some point, and we're told of this story. What's interesting is many of the illustrations for this story have Daniel as a young man, a teenager perhaps, or uh, youngish, you know, 45, very, very young, young, very young. Um, <laughs> What's interesting is that Daniel is currently in his 80s. He could be as old as 85 or even closer to 90. He is an old man at this point, and I don't know that I've ever seen an illustration of Daniel uh, as an 80-year-old, an octogenarian in the Den of Lions, but that is the reality. He has walked through a regime change. He's gone through three monarchs. He's now on his fourth in his time away from his native Judea. And I was intrigued as I was thinking about this narrative this morning. And if you're Daniel, how much more do you think you have to learn about God? How many more lessons does God have to teach you at 80 years old? You've seen the brilliance of Nebuchadnezzar and Nabonidus. You've seen the arrogance of Belshazzar. You've just walked through another regime change. Really, God? I got to go hang out with some lions? How many more lessons do you have to teach me? And that's the beauty of the reality is that God always has more to teach us. There's always more to learn. There's always more to know about him. And there's always more that God is teaching others. And as Daniel has learned, it was through him and his three friends that God had lessons to teach to previous monarchs, and he has lessons to teach to Darius as well. So follow along with me, if you would, as we read Daniel 6 this morning. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps ought to find, sought to find a ground for, uh, for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. They could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we will not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel 
unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought, laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded the den to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found in him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast in the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives, and before they reached to the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of God. What we want to see from this text, I believe one of the key points and the themes of it is this idea of faithfulness. And certainly we see the faithfulness of Daniel, but more importantly than that, we see God's faithfulness, which of course is the key 
to this text as always. Daniel has lived a long and full life. And yet, even at this late time in his life, there are more lessons to teach him, there are more things for him to learn about God, and there are more things that God has to teach others through Daniel, as he does to Darius. There's more work to be done. There is always more work to be done until God calls things to a close. You can't help but notice the parallels between chapter 6 and chapter 3. In chapter 3, Daniel's three friends are thrown into a fiery furnace. There are those that are out for them. They maliciously accuse these three Jewish boys who are then cast in the fiery furnace. No harm comes upon them. They're visited by the angel of the Lord. They're removed from the fiery furnace unharmed. There's so many parallels here between these two passages that can't be missed. But these are not identical narratives. These are separate narratives, and God has a reason why he has included both in here. In the first, in chapter 3, it's to show Nebuchadnezzar again his power, and now he wants to do the same thing to show Darius his power. We've been learning throughout our walk through the book of Daniel that we need to stand fast in God's sovereignty and not in our own strength or any control that we may or may not have. And so we want to see faithfulness, and in the first place then we see the faithfulness displays integrity. Integrity means the same all the way through. There's no situation or circumstance that will change how we act or behave. No matter what the, the circumstance, we are the same all the way through. And we see that in Daniel. So he's faithfully working for God's glory. Somebody has quipped in one of the commentaries that the miracle in this passage is not that Daniel was saved from the lion's den, but that, that there was an honest politician. Daniel in verses 1 through 3 is shown to be a man of faithfulness and integrity. And notice in verse 2, the king sets over his kingdom these satraps, these uh, governors, these magistrates, so that the king might, suff might suffer no loss. They're supposed to work on the king's behalf, for the king's glory, for the benefit of the king, and ultimately for the kingdom. But as with all politicians, regardless of stripe, ultimately they are mostly in it for themselves. And this is the case out of these 120 satraps. They all seem to be in it for the piece of the gravy train that they can get for themselves except for Daniel. Notice verse 3, this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials because an excellent spirit was in him. He was a man that could be trusted. He was a man that would do the bidding of the king who brought him into that position. He was an individual that would work for the benefit of those to whom he was serving. He was an individual that was faithful. He was an individual that had integrity. And at this late date, through all the regime changes, through all of the monarch changes, Daniel is still faithful to his God. We all know individuals that finish poorly, and it's sad to see all the good that God did through them, and yet towards the end of their life, they crash and burn. Paul says, God help me that I do not become shipwreck myself after preaching the gospel to others. And you could give Daniel some slack if after going through Nebuchadnezzar and Abinitis and then his arrogant uh, son Belshazzar and all that Daniel saw, you could give him maybe, cut him a little slack for just kind of coasting into glory. And as we had pointed out in our 
meeting on Friday with the elders. Uh, the elders could be there, a sermon preview. Daniel knows that this captivity is supposed to last 70 years, and then the Jewish people are supposed to be released to go back to their homeland. That is going to happen under Cyrus. And so, knowing the time, the amount of time he's been there, the amount of time left, hey, maybe it's now time to get a little bit back just before we head back to the promised land. All kinds of things could have happened in Daniel's mind, but none of them are true except the fact that he just continued to faithfully serve a pagan monarch because he was not working for the pagan monarch, he was working for the glory of God. Notice that he was faithful despite opposition. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel. It is true that those that rise to the top are oftentimes attempted to be drugged down by those below. And that is certainly true in a lot of uh, areas of life, but it's definitely true in politics. Daniel has distinguished himself because he doesn't take advantage of the system. He doesn't use it to line his own pockets. And the problem with being distrustful and dishonest is if there's an honest person in the midst, they kind of ruin everything. And so these guys are out for Daniel. They want to get him. What's amazing is, though, they could not find any fault in him with regards to the kingdom because he was faithful. So he's faithful to God despite these individuals looking then to find a complaint against him according to the law of God. Notice in verse 5. The only way we're going to bring Daniel down is if we cause his faithfulness to God to conflict with his faithfulness to Darius with the laws of the land. That's the only way we're going to do it. That's an amazing testimony. That's incredible. It's more incredible, God's faithfulness. And we can't miss that in this passage. This passage isn't about Daniel. It's ultimately about God. But it is noteworthy to say that these individuals, all of these individuals, working overtime in order to line their own pockets and keep that sort of arrangement safe, have tried every which way to find any skeleton in any one of Daniel's closets, and there's none to be found. Now, that's an incredible thing. The reason why a lot of people don't run for office is because of those skeletons in their closets. And in today's day and age with the internet, those will be found and those will be put on display. Nothing can be found against Daniel. He's faithful. And so in the second place this morning, then we see that faithfulness displays consistency. There's a consistency here in Daniel's life. Faithfulness will always be tested. Verses 6 through 9, they come up with a plan. Now this is not that they're substituting the deities of the Medo-Persians for Darius. Understand what they have concocted. What is their plan here? We know from antiquity that the Medes and the Persians, very religious as all people are ultimately, and the priestly class, especially in Persia, was very exalted. Think Magi. Even we just come out of the Christmas season, those individuals that came to see Christ, that type of class of individual. So they had a well-established religious system, and the priestly class was, was highly honored. Darius has just taken over the Babylonian uh, uh, empire. And what these guys are saying to him is not, leave off praying to our gods and leave off uh, using the priestly class necessarily. What they are saying is, for a month, Darius, you are our sole mediator to the gods. And let that link together, Babylonians, Medians, Persians, in any kingdom there is cause for division and disunity. So to unify the whole kingdom, Darius, let's make you the highest of the priests. Let's make your name the one through whom anyone brings a petition to their gods, to the deities. 
It's not releasing the priestly class. It's honoring the priestly class still. It's not denying deity and making Darius a, a competing deity. But what it's saying is, let everybody pray through you to the gods to bring the kingdom together. You have to give these guys props. It's a brilliant plan, even though it's highly devious, manipulative, and evil. And Darius gladly signs it. We have egos, all of us, no less individuals in positions of power, largely because of their insecurity. And so these guys come along and give this plan, and Darius says, sounds good, boys. Well done. Signs it into law. Notice, though, that faithfulness is rooted in consistency. Notice verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So we need to be clear in this narrative. Daniel's not unaware of this new law. He's not unaware of this injunction. This is not uh, something that is done in ignorance. He's well aware of this new law. He understands that it has been passed. So what does he do? He does what he's always done. Notice at the end of verse 10, as he had done previously. Daniel doesn't start something new when this law is passed. He is not someone who is inherently anti-government. You could see this throughout Daniel's life. If he was, he would have responded vastly differently since the moment he was dragged away to Babylon from Judea. Even as a youth, he recognizes and understands that all sovereigns are under God's sovereignty and so he is not anti-government, anti-authority. That's not what's going on here. He's not sticking it to the man. He's not going to social media and changing his profile. He's not picketing outside of the palace. None of these things. What he is doing, though, is he's doing what he's always done. He's been faithful to God. Now that that faithfulness to God is being challenged, he continues to be faithful to God. There's consistency here in Daniel's worship. And notice what is the content of his prayers. He gave thanks before his God. It doesn't say what he prayed. And in verse 11, those that are against him say that he's making petitions and pleas. But it's quite possible that he's praying the same prayer that he's praying in chapter 9, which we'll get to in a few Sundays. But what we do know from the text is that he's giving thanks before his God. That the laws of the land continue to change and make what we're doing here this morning illegal or finable is our first reaction, thank you, God. Daniel is grateful to God. And so the content of his prayers, whatever they were, they include gratitude. They include thanksgiving. We would think perhaps that what he was praying was, God, take away this injunction, don't let me get caught, any number of things that we might pray. But while we don't know directly the content of his prayers, we do know that he gave thanks to God. He is consistently faithful, doing what he had done previously. Uh, a new law in the land, new legislation does not rattle his gratitude for his God New rules and regulations do not take away from his faith in God, his trust in God. He does as he had done previously. Sometimes we denigrate tradition. We downplay routine. And if tradition and routine is what we are clinging to more so than relationship with God, yes, we have right to look at that disparagingly. But don't disparage tradition and routine outright. There is a blessing in doing things repeatedly over time. 
Daniel has prayed, perhaps every day, three times a day, since he was taken into captivity. Why does he open his window and point towards Jerusalem? He wasn't told that he needed to do that. But that's where he wants to return to. And that's the promise of God that the captive Israelites will do so. Seventy years of captivity and then they will be able to return. And we know that they do. Daniel's faithfully praying. And so he's faithful to God. Verses 11 through 13. In the background, these guys come and they start with, hey, didn't you sign a law, Darius? He says, yes, I did. And that's when they spring it on him. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. So much going on in this passage. Daniel can't seem to shake the fact that he's a slave. We saw that last week with Belshazzar. It's what Belshazzar throws back in his face. Oh, yes, yes, I've heard of you. You're one of the slaves from Judah. That's not how Daniel identifies himself necessarily, but that's how he's always identified in a foreign land. He's never one of them. And that's okay. But they make it very clear. This is one of the others. This is one of the exiles from Jews. This is one of these Hebrews. They don't worship our gods. They don't do things our way. This is one of the slaves. Almost backhandedly, if not directly backhandedly, saying, now how dare you make him one of the three rulers in our kingdom? And how dare you think about putting him over all of us? He's not one of us. He never will be. And he's now proved it. These exiles from Judah, this, this um, slur almost that continues to haunt Daniel. Also the fact, though, that how would anybody know what Daniel was praying? How would it be able to be confirmed that he wasn't making petitions through Darius? I think one of the ways that they knew is because of Daniel's character and his faithfulness. If Daniel's praying at all, he's praying to his God. And his character speaks to that. Perhaps they were close enough to hear. They do come to hear him. In verse 11, they came by agreement and found Daniel make a petition and plea before his God. They may have gotten close enough to hear but I think his character has a lot to say for this reality. And so faithfulness displays consistency. In the third place this morning, faithfulness displays trust in God. One of the greatest contrasts in this passage is Darius and Daniel. Daniel does not speak until verse 21, which is odd for the text. Everything about the lion's den is from the perspective of the king. Now you would think... That would be from the perspective of Daniel. He's the one actually going into the den of lions. You expect if you're telling the story, it would be autobiographical or biographical from Daniel's standpoint, but it's not. The emphasis, the focus of the author of Daniel is on the king, which again just shows this juxtaposition of faith and a lack thereof. Trust in God and, and no trust in the one true God. The king has a far worse evening than Daniel, which I find fascinating. The king is in his, his palace with all of its accoutrements, doesn't get a wink of sleep. Daniel has a great night, and we're going to see more of that as we get through the text. And so faithlessness displays helplessness. 
Immediately the king knows he's been duped. He knows he's been tricked. This injunction had nothing to do with putting Darius up as the new ruler of these kingdoms. This had nothing to do with uniting the kingdoms under Darius. It had nothing to do with any of these things. His pride is dashed in an instant and he realizes all of this was a trick to get at Daniel. And what does he do? He tries everything he can do. He's much distressed and he sets his mind to deliver Daniel. He doesn't know who he can trust at this point, whatever he thinks he can trust, the lawyers, anybody. Is there any way out of this? Is there any way to, to go against this injunction? Can we break this at all? He realizes that he has been tricked. He labors till the sun went down to rescue him. He does everything he can. No help to be found. And so notice in the second place, the faithlessness displays worry. May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. Stone was brought, laid over the den. Verse 18, the king went to his place, spent the night fasting, no food, no diversions, no entertainment, and no sleep. And at the very break of day, at sunrise, he arose and went in haste. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried in a tone of anguish. All of these word pictures to say that the king is very, very distressed. He's beside himself with worry and anxiety. He's hoping against hope that Daniel is safe. It's amazing to me that the king has this kind of night. He's not in mortal danger. (laughs) And if Daniel's destroyed, we'll just get another politician. But there's something different here. There's something more at play. And he is anxious and helpless. But notice our faithful God in verses 21 through 23. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. I can't imagine the king's response just hearing a voice audibly coming out of the lion's den. And lest anybody say, well, these were old lions. These were frail lions. These were full lions. You notice just later on in the narrative, just in verse 24, when those that conspired against Daniel are tossed to the lion's den, before they even hit the bottom of the den, they are consumed with the lions and their bones are broken. It's very graphic. No, no, there's no fault with the lions. The lions are fine. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Subtle, but profound. (laughs) I didn't deserve to be down here, O king. I had done nothing wrong to deserve this. Now we know from chapter 3 that it's the angel of the Lord. We believe perhaps a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. Nebuchadnezzar says, one like the son of the gods is in the fiery furnace with these three Hebrew youths. It just says that God sent his angel, his angel, to shut the lion's mouths. Now this is my own speculation from the text. But I like to think that Daniel spent the night with Jesus. While the king spent the night not sleeping, fretting and worried sick, Daniel, with a lion as a pillow, had a chat with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What better way to spend the night? Whether it was an angel or or the angel of the Lord, we don't know from the text. But regardless, Daniel had quite an evening, a restful (laughs) Thought-provoking, faith-assuring evening was the king had an evening full of worry and stress and anxiety. 
Notice the description when they pull him out. The king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So he's brought up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Not a spare scratch from an errant claw. Nothing. And you can't help but again see the parallels. When in Daniel 3, his three friends are brought out of the fire furnace, no hair singed, their robes are fine, and there's not even the smell of smoke on them. And Daniel here comes out of the lion's den with nary a scratch on him. There's nothing wrong with him. Our God is faithful. And so in the fourth place this morning, we see the faithfulness declares God. This is at least one of the points of this narrative. It speaks beyond Daniel to the God of Daniel. Faithfulness avoids judgment, not so those who are faithless. Rarely in our day do those who break the law, who are in positions of power and authority, uh, get held accountable, but here there, it is fairly swift and immediate. The men who maliciously accused Daniel abroad and cast in the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives, and we might think that this practice is abhorrent, and it certainly is. However, you want to, as a, a pagan deity, avoid reprisals. If your father was cast in the den of lions, you might seek revenge at some point later on. And so we want to make sure that no relatives are alive in order to do that. So everybody gets tossed into the den of lions. Faithfulness avoids judgment. Faithlessness leads to judgment, whether in this life or definitely in the next. And notice that faithfulness displays God's glory. Darius makes a decree in all his royal dominion. People are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, and you can't help again seeing the parallels between Nebuchadnezzar and Nabonidus. They make these declarations, and Darius makes one himself. He's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That goes out over all the kingdom, and in one incident, everything changes from worship the gods through Darius to worship the one true God because of one faithful servant of God. We disparage oftentimes faithfulness. That's just steady plodding towards the kingdom. But this is Daniel's testimony, but more importantly, God's testimony. He's under no obligation to reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar. He's under no obligation to reveal himself to Nabonidus. He's under no obligation to send his hand to write on the wall in front of Belshazzar. He's under no obligation to reveal himself to Darius. And yet God does in his grace and in his mercy. And so we see the faithful God. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. What, of all, what does all of this point to? It does not ultimately point to the faithfulness of Daniel, although Daniel was a faithful servant of God. What it ultimately points to is the faithfulness of our God to us. Who else was punished wrongfully? Who else suffered even though he was innocent? For all of Daniel's innocence, Daniel was not perfect. But there is one who was, Jesus Christ the righteous. And if anyone suffered as an innocent man, it was Christ on our behalf. Christ suffered even though he had not ever once committed any sin. And yet he bore the penalty for all of our sins. This passage points to that. Daniel says, I have done no harm, and I've done no harm to you, O king, and yet here I am in the den of lions. 
If anyone understands betrayal, if anyone understands hatred, especially because of who he was, the perfect son of God, if anyone understands any of this, it is Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what we should get out of this passage is not dare to be a Daniel, which you'll notice we have not sung at all during our walk through Daniel and will not. That's not the point. The point is God is faithful. God is true. And despite our lack of faithfulness, God is always faithful. And he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to be fully faithful where we are not so that we could have his faithfulness attributed to us and our faithlessness would be paid for by him. Even Daniel, with all of his faithfulness, could not even save himself, let alone anyone else. But Jesus Christ the righteous will save all who repent of their sins and cry out to him. Our trust then is not in our faithfulness. Our only hope is in the faithfulness of God to us. God is faithful. And by the way, God is faithful whether he gets us out of the den of lions or not. We rejoice certainly in this as we rejoiced in chapter 3 with God rescuing the three friends of Daniel from the fiery furnace. But we ought to say as they did, whether God re uh, rescues us or not, we will trust in him. Our hope then is not in us, it is always in him and his faithfulness. I love verse 28 because this was predicted by God all the way back in the early part of Daniel. If you could follow with me, if you would, all the way back to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 21. Daniel is ripped from his home as a teenage boy. He and his three friends, they're slaves. They went from the royalty in the house of Judah to slaves in the house of Babylon. Everything about them has changed. Their names have changed. Uh, their education has changed. Their food has attempted to be changed. And yet God says all the way back in chapter one, and Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And notice what it says in Daniel 6.28, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Through ups and downs, through this government and that, through this legislation and that, through this lack of legislation and that, through this pandemic and that, through everything, one thing is always constant. As the tagline for this series has said, we can always stand firm in the sovereignty of God. He is always faithful, and he proved it on the cross through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He is trustworthy. Trust in him. Let's look to him in prayer this morning. Father, thank you. Thank you for this reminder of faithfulness. Far too often we are attracted to the latest podcast, the latest author, the latest sermon clip, the latest guru, the latest celebrity. And there is a place. There is a place for those servants of yours that you bless to be known who accurately reflect who you are and rightly share your truth. But Father, there is much to be said about those who labor in obscurity. Those individuals 
in small towns across our region and across our nation and across our world who will just faithfully week in and week out declare your word, live your word, not perfectly, but faithfully. Never known, never written about, never going viral, just faithful. Pointing, Father, to your faithfulness through millennia of human sin, tragedy, pain, and suffering and evil, you remain the same. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. That is what we can trust in. And our only hope is that, Father, you will hold us fast. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.